Make the choice to begin anywhere in your life, and the journey has started. We exist more than just to educate. We exist to also revitalize. And along the way, you can inspire others and be inspired. But now there's a new generation of scholars, and I am among them. If you really want to know who you are and what you are capable of, Howard is the choice for you. Take a moment. Listen to the stories by joining the president of Howard University, Dr. Wayne A.I. Frederick, and his guest on The Journey. A complex set of structural barriers have historically perpetuated racial and economic inequality. To properly understand these issues, it is imperative that Howard engage a wide range of expert scholars whose work unapologetically seeks to advance racial equity. By convening HBCUs, developing coursework in economy and society studies, and influencing policy through focused research, we can begin to reimagine how our economies function and who they serve. Hello, my name is Dr. Wayne Frederick, and my guest today on the journey Ajave Gooms, Assistant Professor with the Department of Economics, and Michael Ralph, Chair and Professor in the Department of Afro-American Studies. Dr. Gooms and Dr. Ralph, welcome to the journey. Thank you for having us. Thank so you. I'm going to start with you, uh, Dr. Gooms. So anybody with a website always gets me a little bit concerned. But <laughs> being part of a large family from Los Angeles, uh, 11 brothers and sisters, you probably needed your own identity. So first, let's start there. Tell me what it was like growing up. Uh, with 11 siblings. It was great. I have my own personal cheerleading team, <laughs> all my best friends. Um, it was awesome. I really enjoyed growing up with such a strong-knit family and a big family. We're all about two years apart. The oldest is actually a Howard graduate, my dad's a Howard graduate, and my nephew's currently a Howard student. So Howard's also been always a, um, a, held a special heart, a special part in our family. Uh, why economics? What uh, drew you to that field at uh, Loyola? That's a great question. So I was pre-law. Um, I grew up in L.A. during the crack epidemic. I grew up with parents that had a nonprofit to help um, students of color and minorities get into college and help support them getting into college. And so I grew up with this strong sense of wanting to help people that looked like me wanting to give a voice to these individuals that didn't seem to have their voice heard in our society. And so I always thought law was the way. Um, so at LMU, I was pre-law. They have a good law program. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna become a lawyer. I'm gonna help change law. And then I took a principles of micro class and the professor said, well, economists do better on LSATs than political scientists. And when I went into undergrad, I was already pretty far advanced. So I knew I was gonna double degree. And so I said, okay, I'll, I'll do economics too. I'm good at math, I can do this. And probably about my junior year of college, I stopped studying for the LSAT and I started considering a PhD in economics. Um, it was an Esther to Flow paper. We have a professor at LMU that was her student at MIT. And Esther to Flow does, and now J-PAL, which is like full circle, J-PAL came and spoke to our summer program students for the American Economic Association, which was Great, but at the time, Esther DeFlo, who's now a Nobel Prize winner, at the time she was up and coming, and she used economics to try to solve real world problems, try to figure out how can we look at experiments to get teachers in classrooms in, in developing countries? How can we make sure parents in, in East Africa are using or getting the, um, the mosquito nets they need to help um, prevent malaria? And it, it just felt very practical, and, and so I started to really start to investigate 
and realize that I could use economics the same way I thought I could use law. And actually, I'm not the best at, I, I'm not really that interested in reading a million pages. So economics using math suited me better, but little did I know I read a lot in economics as well. All right, excellent. So Dr. Ralph, uh, your family is originally from Guyana, mm -hmm. uh, but you were born in Vancouver uh, before moving to uh, the East Coast, essentially, up yeah. and down the, the eastern uh, seaboard. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me, first, a little bit about your family from Guyana. Yeah, well, my parents uh, left Guyana, went to undergrad at University of West Indies, Zamona in Jamaica. So my older brother was born. Then my dad did a master's in Canada for one year. That's where I was born. And then they came to New York where my younger brother was born. Uh, and then we grew up on the East Coast, moving around. My mother was a librarian, so, you know, I read a lot. I always tell people I read classics as a young person. Like, I never really read sort of like Diary of a Wimpy Kid or like other kinds of books <laughs> young people read. I was reading like Three Musketeers and like Oliver Twist and things like that. Um, and then my mother would go on to work as a university librarian. And my, do my dad was a um, uh, university sort of administrator or something like that. So kind of moved to different, you know, university towns and things like that. We would at one point lived in Florida. My mother was at Florida State and my dad was at FAMU and later um, my mother was at uh, University of Maryland, which was University of Maryland at Baltimore then. My dad was at Bowie State, you know, so I've always been around universities. So one of the things that I guess about your career that is interesting because I talk to students all the time about it. I don't want students to focus on their major, but rather their mission. Mm -hmm. And I think your career has been an example of kind of following your mission. If you had to try to describe what your mission is and then how you apply that in terms of where your career took you and, and even the influence of your PhD at the University of Chicago, what would that look like? Well, I think the, I appreciate the question. My, I think I've learned that sort of how we navigate the world and how we access, say, capital or resources um, is shaped by who we are in the world, right? Like our, our racial background, gender, sexuality, our abilities, our expertise, all that shapes how we navigate the world. It also shapes how we're governed, you know? Oftentimes, we're either given access to privilege or denied access based on who we are, based on national origin, our education, expertise, race, gender, sexuality. So I always hold those things in mind in doing research and analysis, like who are we looking at? How does who they are shape what they're able to access? Um, how does who they are shape what they're denied access to? And so I think, um, to your point, it's not so much about the discipline as such, it's more about the, the evidence and the argument and the opportunity to explore different kinds of things, you know? I always tell people that, you know, my research sort of starts with the question of evidence and argument, and then I sort of move to the methodology and those kinds of questions, rather than focusing on a particular uh, disciplinary approach. You're listening to The Journey. My guests today are Dr. Javay Grooms, Assistant Professor with the Department of Economics, and Dr. Michael Ralph, Chair and Professor in the Department of Afro-American Studies. So Dr. Grooms, you know, back to you. You use a mix of anthropology with algorithms and actuarial sciences. And I think in the modern day world, that interdisciplinary approach is needed. But as you look at kind of some of the root causes and you look at how you're managing modern day methodologies with, you know, old school standard research and data, uh, what do you see kind of as the next beachfront, as it were, um, in terms of working in this area? That's interesting. I don't know that I have a direct um, answer to that, but what I will say is I think you're 100% right. I was trained as a pure economist. Um, 
And one thing that really helped me was the National Economic Association, which uh, Dr. Swinton, who's the chair of the econ department, he was the president of a couple years ago. But that was that that is the black econ, the major black econ association in the United States. And as a grad student, I stumbled upon them. I went to University of Florida. We had no professors of color. We had one female professor that left my second year. Um, and so no one was doing racial research. Racial research, inequality was not considered economics. Um, I heard professors say that. And so I really found refuge in going to um, National Economic Association conferences, going to the American Society of Hispanic um, Economists. And it was places where I heard um, Professor Spriggs speak, and that resonated with me. I heard Rhonda Sharp, who's at Weiser, Weiser Institute, and I heard Derek Hamilton, who's at New School, and I heard them start talking about how it's important to bring in sociology. It's important to bring in multidisciplinary, qualitative work. And it's something that I was never taught, and I think I'm still learning, um, but I think it's something that makes the research much more meaningful, and it will allow us to get to a root cause and add context to what's happening, not just numbers. You know, we were able to secure um, a $10 million grant from the Hewlett Foundation, um, and for which I'm in, in debt to Larry Kramer to see this vision and have this vision. And we formed a center, it's the Equitable Economy and Sustainable Society Center, E squared, S squared. And both of you, uh, uh, you know, have the mantle of the leadership. I, I think we've picked uh, the two best leaders at this time uh, to lead us there. Can each of you describe kind of your role in the center and what you envision you know, for the center? I'll start with you, Dr. Coombs. Thank you. Um, so I think we have been working very closely on, um, on our roles, but also on the vision of the center. What I envision is a center that really questions the way we look at current policies and focusing on research that is aiming at dismantling structural barriers that impact inequalities, economic inequalities, health inequalities, even climate and environmental inequalities in our society. And a big aim is having direct um, effect on policy, making sure that the research being done by Howard faculty gets amplified so that it could have impact, so that our voices, our research is heard by those individuals making change or making policies. And, you know, same question for you, uh, Dr. Ralph, but I'm going to add uh, something on as well for you to comment on, and that is to probably elucidate a bit of what these structural barriers are that mm -hmm. we constantly seem to be encountering. Yeah, thank you. Um, so the, the center is a very exciting opportunity. I think, as you noted, the Healer Foundation has, you know, provided support for it, and, and the grant is really about sort of, quote-unquote, rethinking neoliberalism is sort of how they put it, um, and in conversations with, you know, Larry Kramer and also Brian Kettering, who's sort of administering the grant, it's very clear that they sort of um, want to identify scholars and institutions who are going to help rethink political and economic relationships, right? It really is an honor, obviously, to be chosen as founding director and for Dr. Grooms to come on as co-director because I think our, our research expertise is very sort of compatible and sort of, um, but we also have, you know, our own domains of expertise that we sort of draw upon, you know, and I think um, one of the things we're sort of exploring is how to kind of turn the center into kind of a hub for exciting faculty research, um, how to train students in interdisciplinary research methods, you know. As we both noted, it's our sort of training and the training we received and then the training we've done after the training we received that leaves us poised to respond to these questions. Um, one really exciting initiative we're trying to develop 
is something we're calling the 1513 Project. In some ways, it's almost like a prequel to um, Nicole Hannah Jones' 1619 Project. Um, we sort of noted that um, African Americans were in the U.S. as early as 1513, but sometimes as part of expeditions with Spanish explorers and conquistadors and things like that. But we're also using that earlier time frame to think about the origins of capitalism as we know it, the origins of the formation of difference in society as we know it, and to really kind of tackle some of these pressing social problems at their origins and at their root. Now, uh, both of you obviously have been recruited here within uh, the past uh, few years, and mm -hmm. you know my intent is to have you here uh, forever. You could be anywhere in the country, both of you. We recruited you from uh, very competitive places. Why Howard University? You know, it's really interesting. Um, it's a conversation I have with my husband often. I can't duplicate what Howard has anywhere else, um, the legacy of Howard, but I also can't duplicate what my econ department. It is not everywhere. It's not in all econ departments throughout the United States that you can do racial inequality and disparity work and have the support of your senior colleagues and um, your other colleagues. And there's not very many HBCUs in the country that have a PhD program in economics. We have a PhD program, we have a master's program. So not only do I get to do meaningful research, I get to influence those individuals that are going to go on and the next generation of, of economists that are going to do meaningful research and continue to have an impact. Yeah, I can't, you know, I can't even say what it would have meant to be at Howard at an earlier moment or what it would mean to be at Howard in the future, but I can confidently say it's the most exciting place to be right now, and that's what drew me here. I mean, I always admired Howard University because it seems to me, not only is it a historically black college, produced so many luminaries from Thurgood Marshall, Felicia Rashad, Toni Morrison, Zorna Hurston, but all have important ties to Howard, but I think also, um, it has everything you'd want in a university. It feels like, you know, uh, medical school, law school, um, film, drama. You know, many historically black colleges, and even those I attended, were small undergrad liberal arts colleges, you know? But to have such a dynamic historically black college that offers everything is very exciting. I tell people all the time, I'm deeply in love with this place. My romance to this place is uh, unbelievable. Uh, if there's a jug of Kool-Aid, I've, <laughs> <laughs> I've had a few of the jugs, and uh, I'm trying to just uh, leave a little bit for everybody else, but the place is intoxicating. And a big part of the reason is because of uh, people like both of you. I think we have the most exciting faculty in America right now, and uh, you're right. Um, you know, it could be, it was a different place uh, in the past. It will be a different place in the future, but uh, the two of you get to shape a lot of that uh, by your work, so thank you for being here. Thanks for being here. My guests today were Dr. Javier Grooms, Assistant Professor with the Department of Economics, and Dr. Michael Rao, Chair and Professor in the Department of Afro-American Studies. I'm Dr. Wayne Frederick. Please join me next time on The Journey.